Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with freedom through faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hello, everyone, everywhere. This is Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Praise God. We had some technical issues this morning, but, you know, that's to be expected. Uh, at the time of this recording, we just came through a major blizzard uh, here in the uh, eastern seaboard of the United States, over by Baltimore. And, uh, you know, when you get over two feet of snow in one day, uh, some technical issues do arise. But praise God, we're here now. Amen. Hallelujah. All praise to God our Father. Join me in prayer as we get started with today's broadcast. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. And we praise you, Father, for the blessings which you've given to us. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word this day. We pray that we're led by your Holy Spirit and that all the words that are said would be your words, Lord. Father, we thank you for loving us, loving each individual person and this nation as a whole so much that you gave Jesus as the perfect sacrifice to restore us into a relationship with you. Jesus, we accept this and we praise you for this. Now, sir, lead and guide and direct this broadcast as you see fit, that all may be said and done for your honor, glory, and praise and that of our Heavenly Father. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We're going to be looking at a subject. I've talked on this before and taught on this before. But we're going to look at it again because I know it's on everyone's hearts. Here uh, at the time of this recording, we're beginning to enter the new presidential election season. And it's important, so vitally important, to see where this nation has been where we are now, where we are headed, and to recognize a move of God in this nation to restore this nation into a right relationship with God. And we're going to look at that a little bit today. We have to go quickly. But I, I want to take the Word of God and not just give you some kind of political or theological or philosophical teaching. I want to take the Word of God and use His Word to address the subject of what's wrong with America. In order to do that, I want to turn to Romans chapter 1, and we'll begin at verse 24, reading down through verse 32. Romans 1, 24. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the Creator rather than the Creator, who's blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, 
inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, with no understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Now three times in those verses you hear the statement, God gave them over, verse 24, 26, and 28. Another way of saying that would be abandoned by God. You know, one of the most tragic scenes in Scripture involves the strongest man who ever lived, the man Samson, the original and legitimate and real and genuine Superman on the earth, praise God. In Judges chapter 16, verses 18 to 20, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it. It says, When Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up one more time, for he's told me all that's in his heart. And then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. And she made him sleep on her knees, and then called for a man, and had him shave off the seven locks of his hair. Then she began to afflict him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep, and said, I'll go out as at other times, and shake myself free. Now then, there's this line. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes, and they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains, and he was a grinder in the prison. He did not know that the Lord had departed from him. He was abandoned by God because of his sin. That's a tragedy. And to the sons of Israel, God said in Judges chapter 10, You have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. You can go out and cry to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your distress. So not only was Samson abandoned by God, but so was Israel. In Proverbs chapter 1, verses 24 to 31, it talks about a similar line of thought. It says, Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand, but no one paid attention. And you neglected all of my counsel, and you did not want any of my reproofs. I will even laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm, and your calamity comes on like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish comes upon you, then they'll call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated my knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproofs. So they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. To all, not just Samson, not only Israel, but to everyone who turns their back on the wisdom of God, they are left abandoned by God to eat the fruit of their own ways. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 17, God says this frightening statement, Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. Abandoned by God was Ephraim. Ephraim had made a choice, and God said, just let him go. In the New Testament, I think of all the things Jesus said about the Pharisees. But this one statement was the most telling and most frightening thing that you could hear from the mouth of God. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 15, verse 14, Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And when the blind leads the blind, all of them fall into the pit. Just leave them alone alone. You see, there comes a point in God dealing with men and with nations, groups of people, when he just abandons them to their own devices. The consequence of that type of abandonment 
is that they will eat the fruit of their own choices. If I were to simply answer the question, what's wrong with America? It'd be real easy to say, God has abandoned America, and America is now eating the fruit of its own choices. Choose to sin, we have. Chosen to turn our back on God's, we have. Chosen to reject the gospel, the word of God, we have. Chosen to reject biblical morality, we have. Chosen to disobey the clear commandments of God, we have. And God says, leave them alone. This isn't anything new for nations. In Acts chapter 14, verse 16, listen to this. Paul said, in the generations that have gone by, God permitted all the nations to go their own way. He gives the nations a choice of who to follow. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, wrote, The lost enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded and therefore became self-enslaved. But when you consider all the scriptures that talk about being abandoned by God, none of them is more dramatic as the one I just read for you. This is the most graphic and comprehensive discussion of being abandoned by God anywhere in Scripture. And it is also the concept of being abandoned by God that best explains the moral chaos and the moral confusion that we are seeing right now in America. I could go one step further and say, we're not waiting for God's wrath. We are beginning to experience it. You see, God's wrath in its initial form is just simply to allow men to live with the fruit of their own choices. In other words, to take the restraints off, the protection. That's what's happening right here before you in Romans chapter 1. Three times, as I said, in verses 24 to 32, you see the phrase, God gave them over. Now that word can have a judicial sense. That is, making a judgment on a criminal and handing him over for execution or punishment. And I think that's the intention here, because the whole scene here is man found guilty before God and God's wrath released, back in verse 18, against guilty man. The wrath of God then acts judicially to sentence sinners. And the first phrase of that sentence is to just take the restraints off, let it go. Let them go the way of their own choices, turning them over to the uninterrupted course and its effect that their sinful choices produce. The fruit of their own way. To put it another way, they are deprived of any type of restraining grace. Amen. Sin is so rampant right now in our country, so widespread, so tolerated, so promoted by people in leadership and even people in the church and church leadership. Sin is so widely tolerated, it's almost a pandemic. That's the very fabric of our life. I believe God has taken away the restraining grace that is needed to preserve our nation. God has let our nation, our own choices, run us to our own doom. Sin both has cause and effect. Sin and more sin and more sin and more sin results and more sin, and more sin, and more sin on a deeper level. Sin causes it. Sin's the result of it. Wrath means that sinning people are allowed the freedom to sin more and more as restraining grace is taken away. Amen? Let's go back to verse 24 in Romans chapter 1. 
And you'll see a progression in this statement. I've taught on this before uh, on a, a deep, in-depth study, so I'm not going to go all into it right now. But I just want to highlight some things for you. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. The first thing God does in expressing wrath on a sinning society is just to let them go and fulfill their lust. The first evidence of the wrath of God is not earthquakes and tidal waves or mass executions. It's just letting people go to operate in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Moral perversion, sexual perversions, pornographic desires allowed not just to exist, but to become popular, tolerated. You hear that word a lot. Being serviced by society itself to progress and to grow. Here what you have is pornographic hearts, lustful hearts. Man, now abandoned by God, operates only out of the passions of his heart. And it doesn't stop there either, verse 24 says. It goes to the body. The heart and its impurity and its driving lust will ultimately end up dishonoring the body. It can't stop on the inside. It's got to show up on the outside. The heart is wicked. The heart's unrestrained. The body follows. Because Jesus said whatever comes out of the heart of man is what defiles him. A man named Alan Johnston once wrote, In their freedom from God's truth, they turn to perversion. In the end, their humanism or man-centeredness results in dehumanization of each other. We have that today, folks. Sex, alcohol, drugs, abuse, abortion, even euthanasia. A low view or low value of everyone else's life that leads to killings and murders and knifings and shootings. No sense at all of man being created in the image of God. None whatsoever. No sense of humility. Just egos gone wild to fulfill basically uncontrolled and unrestrained passion that leads to the dishonoring of their bodies on every level. Let's look at the second statement. Go to verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. We go a little deeper into the level that this corruption reaches. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. First, there's this sort of general category of unrestrained vice. And we know that's part of our culture. It began back in the 60s with the love generation, right? That's the driving force now today in our culture. You got to tolerate my beliefs. You got to tolerate what I want to do. Tolerance is the code word for today. That's dominating in our culture today. You hate to admit it, but all the great cities of America are populated by men and women who live for nothing else but the fulfillment of their own lusts. The second level is the degrading passion. God shows you how far it goes. Vile desires, gross affections, so perverted, so degenerate, so unrestrained in the heart that it takes over the body. And they use the body to do unthinkable things at the very depth of sin. And it's called homosexuality. And notice that it starts with women here in this scripture. And the women really are, if you see the statistics, the women really are the minority in the homosexual community. A very small percentage of women are lesbians compared to how many men are sodomites. But here, Paul starts with the women. 
Why is that? It's because he wants you to see how deep the plunge is into immorality. You see, usually the last to be affected by any decline in the culture are the women. They're the caregivers of the home. The natural function, the natural desire for women is to nurture babies and protect them and protect the family. And that's Paul's point right here. Proof that when the women are participating in this culture, absolutely all virtue is gone. For even the women have fallen to this level of depravity. In verse 27 he says, In the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts, and listen to this, receiving in their own bodies the due penalty of their error. Can you see HIV there? And AIDS? And all sorts of other diseases? Of course you can. All A lot of different things going on there. And you see the base inversion of God's creation order abandons them to the consequences of their own iniquity, the fruit of what they've sown. And that's what sin does. They are abandoned by God. God pulls back all of his restraining grace. There's no mitigation of the consequences of their sin. Their lives are destroyed morally, mentally, emotionally, medically, ultimately physically, and then eternally. Let's go to the third level that this abandoning by God plunges men towards in verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, here's the third time this phrase is used, God gave them over to a depraved or reprobate mind to do those things which are not proper. Now what's a depraved mind? What does that mean? A mind tested and found. Are you ready for this? A mind tested and found to be useless. In other words, a mind that is not even qualified for its intended purpose. In other words, they are so wicked and they're so base that their reasoning faculty is so corrupted, it must be rejected. Their intellectual faculty, their conscience, their soul is so destroyed that they do those things which are not a better word than proper would be moral, not fitting for men to do. The point is that the depth of their sin has reached the point where it has rendered their brains useless. They're not rational. They're not reasonable. They don't think straight. All rationality is gone at that point, and all ability to reason about life and choices and morality is gone. Those are the kind of people in our culture who are now quickly rising into positions of leadership. And the Bible says that they have a mind that's useless. What happens when it stretches across our culture? You see, it isn't just homosexuality. Look how broad it goes in verse 29. They are filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slander, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil things, disobedient to their parents with no understanding. They're untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. That sounds like a perfect description of any major inner city today. You could take the time to go through all of that. Unrighteous, wicked, greedy, envious, murderous, fighting, deceitful, filled with hate, an intention to do evil to other people, and so forth. And that's 
the culture of the United States today. And in verse 32, they say, they did not know the ordinance. I'm sorry, I got that backwards. And they know the ordinance of God. They know what they're doing is against the Bible. How do they know that? Because the law of God is written. Where is it written? In their hearts. They know what God's standards are. They know what's right. And those who practice such things are worthy of death. But they still not only do the same, they give hearty approval to those who practice them. They have no conscience. They have no fear. They're without reason. They're without understanding. They're like animals, mindless. And that's the lowest point of human descent. That's all the way from people living on drugs and living for sex in the street and the, homosexual, the homosexuals to, to the sophisticated yuppies who go on you know, these talk shows, Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz and all this, you know, not to mention uh, Maury Povich and all these other things, and they laugh at sexual deviation and moral perversion. You see God abandoning his people in all of this. And I believe what we are experiencing right now in our country is nothing more than God just letting us go the way this nation has chosen to go. But you say, Brother Bob, I haven't chosen that way. I follow God. I read the Bible. I don't believe that. Well, the nation, our nation, in the United States chooses its leadership. And when you choose to vote for a man or a woman or a party that does not stand and uphold biblical values, when you choose to put people into leadership offices at all levels of government who advocate sin of this proportion, this magnitude, murder, homosexuality, and these are the people you elect to represent you, then you are partakers of their sin and you get what you ask for. Brother Bob, I don't support that, but I believe every person has a right to do what they want. That's exactly the attitude I'm talking about. This I see right now God is removing his hand of restraint and basically telling the United States, choose who you're going to follow. If you want it, you got it. Why is it that God is abandoning this society? Couldn't we all say, well, everyone's doing it. That's, that's just the way things are. I mean, you've got to expect this. This is the way people are. You know, God created them as homosexuals. He put that desire in there. No, he didn't. To try and accuse God of doing something like that means God messed up on his creation. And you go back to the book of Genesis and see where God said it was all created perfect. And who did he have in the garden? One man and one woman. You heard the saying, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Amen. Why would God abandon us in this situation when we need him most? Well, the answer comes in verses 18 to 23. Let's go down there and see. For the wrath of God, this is Romans 1 verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in righteousness, verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. You see here, that's the problem. The problem is they had the knowledge of God and they rejected 
God. So I have to conclude, if God's rejected us already, that means the wrath of God is now at work in our society. And you could even say that there is no surer, no clearer token of a society under judgment, under the wrath of God, than when that society refuses to define sin, hate sin, speak out against sin, but on the other hand, tolerate sin and tolerate sinners completely, elevating them up to be a protected class in society. Listen, when a society reaches the point where it will not call sin, sin, where it will not hate sin, where it puts up and tolerates with sin and tolerates sinners, but will not tolerate anger, will not tolerate any speaking out against that sin like I'm doing today, that's a society under God's wrath. And that's the United States of America today. And it isn't new. Schiller once wrote, the history of the world is the judgment of the world. That's a great statement. The history of the world is the judgment of the world. What does that mean? Nations rise, nations fall. Nations come, nations go. That's the chronicle of God's operating wrath. The plunge into unrestrained iniquity is offensive to God. Because verse 18 says, they suppress the truth. God's word is the truth. Literally, verse 18 means we are constantly attempting to suppress the truth by our ungodliness. There is God. Amen. God exists. God is. God has divinely authored a spiritual, moral, ethical standard that has to be, must be obeyed, or there's wrath in your future. And we all know about that kind of wrath. I mean, you can go to the book of Revelation and read all about it. Amen? But it's also for the present, not just the future. In the future, spiritually and eternally, and in the present on a temporary basis. But just look with open eyes at our society in America today. We assault the standard of the Word of God. We ignore the standard. We reject the standard of the Word of God. We mock it. You can see it on television and, and all that today. We mock the Word of God. We do everything to suppress that standard, whether it's in the legislat legislative branch, Congress, or the judicial branch, the Supreme Court, and all the appeals courts, or the executive branch, the office of the president. All of them have now joined the movement, haven't they, to suppress God's word, the truth. We want to tell every man that you are free to do anything you want to do. The only morality we have is something called Egalitarianism, which means the right for everybody to do whatever everybody wants to do. Do what's right in your own eyes. That's the one moral value that our world can define. Paul says the problem with this, it's a blatant rejection of the law God gave to his man. It's not man and his ignorance. It's man and his rejection that brings the wrath of God. And just expounding on that a little bit in verse 18, Paul lays out four specific reasons for God's wrath. And I'm going to give them to you. I'm not going to go too in-depth, but I do want you to see this because I think you'll find them fascinating. The first one is Revelation. In verse 19, it says, That which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. 
In other words, God, now listen to me now, has inlaid the evidence of spiritual and moral truth, what's right and what's wrong, in the very nature of man's being. He has inlaid also in the nature of man the awareness that there must be a God, that God must be powerful and wise and good and just. Man is not without the witness of a divine reality and a divine morality. Man can't plead ignorance to this because apart from Scripture, which is special revelation, God has, through general revelation, made himself known to every man. Notice the phrase in verse 19, that which may be known of God. That simply means what's knowable. What is knowable about God? What we can know about Him is made available to us. Where is this knowledge made available, Brother Bob? Within them. In the mind, in the soul, in the reasoning faculties, in the conscience. You see, the very fabric of reasoning and understanding is made from the strands of the revelation of God. That's what Paul means over here in chapter 2 of Romans. In verse 14, when he says, The Gentiles who don't have the law, the written law, do instinctively the things of the law, because though they do not have the law, they are a law unto themselves. Why? In verse 15, the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, their thoughts alternately accusing or defending them. Conscience, guilt, reason, a rational mind, those are the faculties by which the proper conclusion is there is right and there is wrong and there is God. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You missed a good place to shout amen right there. There's right, there's wrong, there's God. Hallelujah. It's not obscure to believe in God. It's innate. It's in our nature. It's readily apparent. It's not obscure to believe in right or wrong. It's in our nature too. And just like when you wound your body, you feel pain. When you wound that moral, rational soul, you feel guilt. It's normal to believe God. It's common sense. The mind dictates there has to be a God. And this is what he must be like. Over in the book of Acts, chapter 14, verse 15, just a very important word here. Paul and Barnabas having an interesting time preaching in Lystra. They say, man, why are you doing these things? They say that when people want to come grab them and make them gods. He said, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you. We preach the gospel to you in order that you turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and all that's in them. Now listen to this. And in the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own way. Yet he did not leave himself without a witness. And that he did good and he gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And it's interesting if you keep on reading with just a couple verses later, these same men want to kill them because they found out they are men, not gods. Amen. I mean, reasoning would tell you somebody sent the rain, somebody made the beautiful sunsets and sunrises that you can see. Somebody makes the flowers grow. Somebody provides all the food that you eat. Somebody makes you happy. Somebody brings a precious, sweet, soft, tender little baby into the world. Somebody invents those immense and overwhelming feelings of love from a man to a woman. Somebody brings the joy of music and the contentment of prayer. When you pray, somebody is listening and you know, have that knowing inside of you. The mind and the reason, the very fabric of the soul says and tells us there is a God. And he is a creator. And he's powerful and he's good and he's beautiful and he's wise and He's woven into every fabric of everything you can see. Amen. 
and turn over to Acts chapter 17 and verse 23, you find Paul on Mars Hill talking to some philosophers. And he follows the same path of reasoning. He says, you have this altar here inscribed to an unknown God. Well, and he starts to expound on that. He says, let me tell you who this unknown God is. He's the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. You see, Paul here assumes something. What is it he's assuming? He's going to evangelize a bunch of pagan philosophers, but he assumes their rational minds must require them to believe there is a creator. And that's his assumption. That's where he starts. He knows that they believe somebody made everything because not to believe would be irrational. And this group of people are rational. <coughs> Excuse me. Paul basically comes to the conclusion nobody times nothing equals everything. That's the equation of an idiot, a moron. So the assumption is they believe that the effect has a cause. And so he assumes and he starts with the God who made everything and tells them, you already have an altar here to this God. Look at the effect. Let me tell you about the one who made everything. And he says, he isn't served with human hands, verse 25, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. He made everyone, every nation of mankind, to live on the face of the whole earth. He designed the world. He created everything in it. He sorted out the nations as to where they're going to be located and their boundaries and their times in order that they would seek him. In other words, the very existence of the universe, the very existence of the earth and the sky and, and the boundaries of the nations and all the creation, everything should drive people to God to see who he is. For if they would grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us, Scripture says. For in him we live and move and exist. As even some of your own pagan poets have said, we are also his offspring. So even pagan theology says, somebody made us. That points out the, idiocy, the idiocy of the evolution theory that basically says nobody made us we just happened to come together and that's the point paul's making here in verse 29 being then the offspring of god we ought not to think the divine nature is like gold silver or stone and imaged form by the art and the thoughts of man now think about it he's telling these philosophers here just think about this you look at this entire universe and are you assuming that rock over there with a face on it made all this? You chiseled that out. Are you assuming that wooden statue over there made all of this? You made that wooden statue. You must assume that whoever made it is greater than these statues. That's pretty powerful stuff. And that's just reasoning. And he, Paul, approaches these pagans on a rational basis. Because in the fabric of every human is the reasoning, the human reasoning, that the obvious reality that this world demands a creator. And it reflects something of his person in the creation. That's why, if you go back to Romans chapter 1 where we started, since the, in verse 20, that men are without excuse. Since the creation of the world, since the very beginning when creation was first done, way back then, since the very beginning, the invisible attributes of God, His eternal power, something about His divine nature has been clearly seen in every generation, being understood through what has been made by God. In other words, it's the creation that tells the reason there is a creator. 
that men are absolutely without excuse. Do you realize that this is in ancient times, even before the invention of the microscope or even the telescope for that matter, men were not able, even able to comprehend the macroism or microorganisms like we are today. That's what's so blatant about evolution. Evolution is just a flat-out, blatant rejection of God. It has nothing at all to do with science. It, you know, the, they can only track so far back, and they say, what happened then? Oh, we don't know. It just happened. It defies the single greatest scientific principle, cause and effect, and reflects an evil intent to pursue sin without any type of responsibility. Even in those days, they could look at the stars. They could look at the incredible arrangement of, of the petals on a flower. They could look at the leaves on a stem. They could look at the water of cycle. They could see the mystery of human birth, the mystery of growth. They could see the glory of a sunrise and a sunset. They could understand the roaring and the rolling of the seas. They could understand the rush of the rivers and the trickle of a little brook. They could understand the flight of a bird. They could understand the incredible transformation of a, a worm, a caterpillar, into a beautiful butterfly. Even the heavens were declaring the glory of God and the firmament was showing them his handiwork, Scripture says. Even the beasts of the field were giving him glory, praise God. But today, it's even more potent, isn't it? I mean, think about it. We know that birds navigate by the stars when they migrate. Birds with this little itty-bitty tiny little brain. Birds raised from eggs inside a building where they've never even seen the sky can be, re <coughs> excuse me, can be released to flight. And instantly, they orient themselves towards home. They can even be shown an artificial sky representing a, a place their species has never even been. And they can still orient themselves to it in flight. Or think about water. This is amazing to me when I look at it on this level. Water is lifted up against gravity thousands of feet into the air. Suspended there until the winds carry it to where it's needed. Amen. Think about that. No earthly agency, no government agency can lift water like that. But yet God equipped the sun and our atmosphere to do it. It's the sun that does it through the process of evaporation. And the sun is like, you know, 93 million miles away. And so on it goes. The very essence of a creator and something of his character is absolutely everywhere. And for humans, through their reasoning, to reject that goes against the grain of everything. And it's a, a blatant act of willful sin. And because that God gives them over, the mind they refuse to use becomes the mind that is useless. That's judgment. I believe we are experiencing that kind of movement in our culture today in this nation. Men have experienced God. They've experienced His wisdom. This nation was founded on God. His goodness in every moment of our existence. And now we've rejected Him, suppressing the truth. Real quickly here, I'm getting ready to close. Number two is rejection. We're looking at now rejection, the second of the four reasons why God's wrath falls on America. Men had the truth. Men turned from the truth. Verse 21, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculation, and their foolish heart was darkened. There it is again. They didn't use their minds correctly. Instead of thinking wisely and profoundly and sensibly, their thoughts became futile, empty, and useless. And their foolish heart became black. The light went out in their hearts. Man finds God in creation. He finds God in reasoning. 
and he suppresses it and rejects God because he loves the darkness. And he plunges into darkness and the light goes out. Amen? Donald Gray Barnhouse wrote this statement. Will God give man brains to see these things? Will man then fail to exercise his will towards that God? The sorrowful answer to both of these statements are true. God will give a man brains to smelt iron and to make a hammerhead and nails. God will go a tree and will give man strength to cut it down and brains to fashion a handle for his hammer from its wood. And when man has the hammer and the nails, God will put out his hand and let man drive those nails through his hand and place him on a cross in the supreme demonstration that men are without excuse. They, Paul says, did not honor him as God or give thanks. Man's problem is not that he can't recognize God. It's that he refuses to recognize God. For all the joy of life, all the beauty of life, all of the life, laughter, all the pain of life, all the tears of life, all the thrills, pleasures, talent, sexual fulfillment, all the children, all the families, for all the things that God fills with life, he gets no thanks from them. And they become futile in their speculation. They get nothing but empty human ideas running wild in our culture today. Isn't it true? Isaiah said in Isaiah 47.10, You felt secure in your wickedness and said, Nobody sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge, they've deluded you. For you said in your heart, I am, and there's no one besides me. Does that sound like our culture today? I am the center of my world. No one can judge me. Who are you to judge me? I hear that all the time. That's how stupid men have become. Because they would not allow their rational mind, where God had planted the knowledge of himself and the knowledge of good and evil in their conscience, they would not allow themselves to follow that path. They rejected that path. They have now become foolish in all that they do. They're empty, useless, self-made gods. They've been sucked into the vacuum of their own emptiness with nothing there but darkness. Their foolish heart was darkened. Now they cannot know God because the light has gone out in them. They receive wrath because man received revelation and had the opportunity to change. Wrath because they rejected it. Real quick now, thirdly, rationalization. Men insist that they're okay. Everything's fine. Verse 22, they profess to be what? Wise. They don't say, oh, woe is me. I'm in so much trouble. I'm in a pit. I'm going to hell. I become an idiot. I've lost my senses. I can't find my way. God, help. No. They've convinced themselves that they are absolutely right in their thinking. The major rationalizations today you know, are egalitarianism, freedom, and psychology. They think they're wise. Reminds me of the story about a guy in a mental ward in the hospital bed. And he kept calling out, I am Napoleon! I am Napoleon! The guy in the next bed, after about three days of this, said, Who told you you're Napoleon? The guy says, God did. The other guy said, no, I didn't. Get it? Or the lady who walked in the psychiatrist's office with a duck on a string or a leash and said, you got to help my husband. <clears throat> he thinks he's a duck. Amen? <coughs> oh, excuse me. You see, what they assume they perceive as reality isn't even close to being reality. In verse 22, Paul says, professing to be wise, they became fools. He uses the word moriano in Greek. Moron is the word we get in English. That's what it means. They think they're wise, but they're really a bunch of morons. 
And then there's the fourth cause. In spite of the fact that man rejects revelation and rejects God and the truth revealed because he doesn't want any part of God in his life, and in spite of the fact that he rationalizes he's wise and everything's okay, he will still inevitably invent something, and that's religion. Because God, uh, man cannot exist without some form of religion. He's got to believe in something or someone. He's got to have some shrine he can bow to, so he creates his own God that accommodates his useless mind. Voltaire says, God made man in his own image, and man returned the favor. He made a God in his own image. Verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for, here's the religion, an image in the form of corruptible man, birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Look at verse 25 for us for a moment. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creation rather than the creator who's God blessed forever. Amen. And then verse 28, and just as they don't see fit to acknowledge God any longer. So all of those who say they want to get rid of the true God, the incorruptible God, the real God, the truth of God, and in the place of God, they wanted to make their own religion that's full of lies. They want to worship the creature rather than the creator. They do not see fit to acknowledge God. You see, what you have to understand is this. Man does not rise. He does not ascend from the muck of paganism and ignorance to the truth of God. He falls from the truth of God into the, the slime of religion. Religion is not man at his highest. Religion is man at his lowest. He's down at the bottom when his willful rejection of the true God is allowed to invent false gods that accommodate his own sinful desires. In 2 Kings 17, verse 14, it says, The people didn't listen. They hardened their neck like their fathers, who didn't believe in the Lord their God. They rejected his statutes and his covenant, which he made with their fathers, and his warnings, which he warned them about. They followed vanity or emptiness, and became vain, and went after nations which surrounded them, concerning which the Lord commanded them, Don't be like them. And they forsook all of the commandments of the Lord their God. That's what happens when you start at the truth of God and descend into the muck of religion. Religion is man in the pit and ultimate insanity. Religion is the ultimate insanity. But is there any hope for America? Yes. First of all, you have to return to God as the creator. God as the lawgiver. And if this nation does not return to God, then the wrath will continue. Amen. You can do that today. You can begin to, to fix what's wrong in America right now. It's not some empty promises of political candidates. The only fix is His Word. His Word is the truth. To begin to fix your life, the family, and your family extended out the life of this nation, to fix those things begins with one decision. That is to accept the mercy of God through the sacrifice of His Son. If you make the decision to accept Jesus as your Savior, then not just with head knowledge that you did so, but with the heart knowledge that He provides, begin to serve Him as He directs. That's the first step to fixing America. Pray this prayer with me right now. Father, I repent of my sins. I am sorry for my sins. Father, I realize I have sinned against you. Father, forgive me in the name of Jesus. I accept Jesus' sacrifice as my own. I accept that as my own, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. Thank you for being my sacrifice. Thank you for coming into my heart, forgiving my sin, giving me a new heart, making me a new creation in your image. You, who's created in the image of God, Lord, I ask now that you become Lord of my life, that I might serve you every day, every breath, every step I take, that everyone can see you living in me and me living for you and for our God. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. 
amen and amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. If you prayed that prayer, will you email me at brotherbob at ftfm.org? Because we want to rejoice with you. We enjoy getting letters and emails from our listeners. And if you have a prayer request, you can email me that as well. Glory to God. You can also get more information on our website, ftfm.org. We have a contact page there where you can also send us your prayer requests. Amen. Glory to God. You know, we know that the United States was founded on the Word of God. It was founded. Jesus Christ was the foundation of this nation. Despite what all the naysayers may say, if you look at all of our founding documents, they are flooded with Scripture references. Amen. There can be no doubt that God started this nation. You know, it says, I read somewhere once, God made the nation of Israel because he loved his man. And man made the United States of America because they loved their God. And that is absolutely true. The United States of America as a whole has rejected God. We voted him out of our schools. We voted his word out of our schools. We've allowed sexual immorality in the 60s and the 70s. Then homosexuality has now taken root and taken hold. And if you speak out as a Christian against any of these things, you're labeled as you know, a racist or a bigot or a homophobe or being intolerant. And this is evidence of the slide of America into the pit of hell. God has given us plenty of warnings. Plenty of warnings. I can't even go into them all right now, but there is no doubt God has withdrawn his hand of protection. He's turned us over to our own vices. He's turned this nation over. He said, you select the leaders you want. If you select immoral leaders, then immorality is what you get. And if immorality is what you live with, judgment is what you get. But if you repent of your sins, 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people, not everyone in the nation, if my people would repent of their sins, turn again and seek my face, I will hear their prayers in heaven. I will forgive their sin and turn again and heal their land. And you as a Christian can pray 23 hours and 59 minutes every single day. But if you still vote for a political party or candidates who advocate immorality, shun the word of God, the truth of God, leading this nation deeper into perversion. If you support anything like that, your 23 hours and 59 minutes of prayer each and every day avails you absolutely nothing. The only hope America has is not too late yet. This may be the last election coming up that we see in America. Why do I say that? Because there are so many signs evident right now that the soon return of Jesus is near. Judgment will take place on all the nations that have come against Israel, of which the United States of America has now joined that pact. Instead of being a strong ally of Israel, we are advocating the division of Israel supporting nations that want to destroy Israel. If we continue to elect leaders that follow that path, all you can expect is more judgment, more calamity, more disasters, more wrath being poured out on this nation. 
Repent, America, for your time is drawing to a close. At the end of the age, whose side are you going to be on? The side of God or the side of man? Those are the only two choices you have. Amen and amen. That's all the time we have for today. The music started. Glory to God. Go to our website at ftfm.org and let us know what you think. Till next time, it's Pastor Bob reminding you, be blessed in all you do. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God.